book of Ephesians. Chapter 4 is where we shift gears and move from all of the groundwork that Paul's been laying, telling us how, how blessed we are and how much we have in Christ, and, and now transferring that into, okay, now how are you supposed to live? About now, we're in moving towards the end of basketball season, and there's always college season is wrapping up and the NBA season is moving toward the finish, and there's a lot of talk about who's going to be the most valuable player, who the MVP will be. Last year, Kobe Bryant won it for the, for the Lakers, and this year, there's, a, again, a lot of talk. Okay, Kobe's having a great year. Um, LeBron James for Cleveland's having a great year, but their team isn't really quite as good as the Lakers generally. Then you have Dwayne Wade in Miami, who's, I do have a point, by the way, uh, who, <laughs> Dwayne Wade is having an incredible year, but they're not even going to make the playoffs. And so there's this talk, what makes someone an MVP? Is it just the best player in the league, or is it the best player on the best team, or the team that's most valuable to their team? And it's not always easy to figure that out, because someone could put up great numbers and just be a ball hog, and, and the name of the game, after all, is winning championships, and so often the great players don't always win the championships. It's team play that often wins, and so you're always having a look at that. I, as somebody who's a Laker fan, you think back to the turn of the millennium, Y2K, 1999-2000 year for the Lakers was when they, I mean, they have two superstars on their team, a teenage Kobe Bryant, you have Shaquille O'Neal in the, in the peak of his season. These are probably the two best players in basketball on the same team. And everyone was saying, dynasty. How can you stop these two guys? The most, the most powerful big man in basketball with this guy that can do anything. And sure enough, they won the NBA championship um, you know, pretty easily. They won in the finals four to two, and it wasn't much of a challenge. The next year again, they won the championship, this time winning in the finals four to one. The third year in a row, a three-peat. They won it again. This time they swept 4-0 in the finals. And, and it's like, are these guys ever going to lose? It's just impossible. People are going, this isn't even fair. Well, the problem is the egos of the players really became an issue. And they couldn't get along, and they were fighting amongst themselves. There was a lot of controversy. That following year, they didn't even get to the finals, and it was, there was talk that what's happened to the Lakers? They have two superstars, but they don't have a team. Well, the Lakers decided they better do something about it. Jerry Buss was going to take advantage of what he did have, and so as a result, he went and signed Carl Malone, the mailman, who's one of the most dominant players, two-time NBA MVP, to play on the Lakers also. And now you're going, wow, now there's no way they can lose. Then there's a guy named Peyton, Gary Peyton, who's the best point guard in the game, best defensive player in all of basketball. He's offered a $32 million contract in Seattle, and he turns it down because he goes, I've never won a championship. I want to play for a championship team. So Peyton comes to the Lakers for the minimum, NBA minimum, and now you have Kobe Bryant, the best player in basketball. 
You have Shaquille O'Neal, the most dominant big man in basketball. You have Gary Payton, a guy who can run the ball down the field. You have Carl Malone, a seasoned veteran, four legitimate all-stars, four legitimate MVPs, four guys who are all headed to the Hall of Fame. There's no way in 2003 the Lakers are not going to win. And boy, they put together this dream team but sadly, things began to come unraveled for them. Kobe had problems off the court, as you remember, and spent a lot of his time in the other kind of court. And <laughs> by the end of the year, they, they got blown out in the finals. You have four superstars being dominated by a guy named Chauncey Billups that nobody, from Detroit who nobody's ever even heard of. And they lose. They get embarrassed in the finals. They get almost swept. They lose four games to one. And now the whole thing falls apart. They get rid of Shaquille O'Neal. He's traded to Orlando. They, they, you know, Malone goes, forget it. I've had it. He's off somewhere else. Peyton's off somewhere else. All you have left is Kobe Bryant. They fire their coach. The, Phil Jackson, one of the best coaches in the history of basketball, he managed to handle the Chicago Bulls and led them to all those titles when they had weirdos like Dennis Rodman and, and Scottie Pippen along with Michael Jordan. What happened to this team that was so dominant? And ever since then, they, haven't, they finally made it to the finals last year and lost to a team, the Boston Celtics, that they should have beaten. But they haven't won a championship since. And after all, it's all about championships. Kobe got his MVP last year, but they lost. They ended the season in a loss. Now, I said I had a point. Uh, let me talk baseball for No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Paul in Ephesians lays out for us the value that we have as members of the body of Christ. He has built us up and says, you are gifted beyond imagination. You are so valuable that Christ died for you. You're a part of the body of Christ. He has gone on for three chapters to build us up. Now in chapter four, he's going to tell us what it's going to take to win. And ultimately, what it's going to take to be a most valuable player, the most valuable player that you can be in the body of Christ. And so, beginning with verse 1 in chapter 4, we see, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. A better word there would be, I encourage you. It's the word parakaleo, which is to come alongside someone to help and put your arm around somebody. And go, He's going, I'm coaching you, I'm telling you. Walk worthy. Not James worthy. The, the, <laughs> an old Laker. Walk worthy. That word worthy means Live in a way that's as valuable as you are. I've told you, you are valuable. Now live valuable. Play like a valuable person. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Live up to that which God has placed within you potentially to to be a champion, to see great things happen, to see God work in the church as, as you're a part of the church. And then he goes on to say, here's what it means to live a championship life. Here's what it means to live a valuable life. Here's what, if you're going to be an effective 
member of the body of Christ. Here's what your characteristics of your life need to be. And interestingly, in a lot of ways, these are the characteristics that sometime cause a valuable player to never win championships if they don't get these things. He says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then he says, there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Basically, he's saying, you got to understand we are all on the same team. And he's already explained to us in the previous chapters, you're a part of the building of God, the temple of God. You're part of the body of Christ. You're a member of the family of God. And what you do effectively will be what you do together collectively. As we saw last week, he prayed that you would be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and depth and height of of the love of God. So here's something that you're to do together. And now he says, here's what it's going to demand from each of you individually. First of all, in verse 2, with all lowliness. Lowliness, some have translated it humility, and that's pretty good. The reason they use the word lowliness is that the word literally means low to the ground. And it, it could also be translated to be grounded, to be um, solid, to have a good firm foundation, to not be lifted up and puffed up, to be real, to be someone who is living life in such a way that is down to earth, a regular person. This is opposed to, the opposite of it, is to be puffed up, prideful, lifted up, to believe that you're better than others. And see, the problem is, as soon as we discover that we are gifted, so often we begin to hang on to our giftedness and think that we're superior to others. We, we lose that sense of being down to earth and we become stuffy and arrogant and prideful and we look down at others because, see, like God may lay a ministry on my heart, something I care about, and I'm so into that But then I'm shocked that more people aren't into it. And so I start to think it's really tragic that more people aren't spiritual enough to look at life the way I do. It might work this way. I might go feel like God's telling us, you know, we need to have a prayer meeting. So you have a prayer meeting, and a few people who are really into prayer show up to the prayer meeting. After a while, you're going, you know, this is so sad that this is all we can get to a prayer meeting. We give away tacos on Sunday and people will come in droves. But you have a prayer meeting, it's just a handful of us spiritual people who do it. And, And we start to think that somehow what's wrong with people because they don't care about what I care about. The point is, if you understand the body of Christ, everyone's supposed to care about different things and be called to different things and it should be okay. But I start to get all uppity, I start to get all prideful and arrogant 
I look down at you, and now I don't want to work with you anymore. And I, and I want to make you feel like you're so second class because you're not like me that I actually end up driving you away. It's so important that we as members of the body of Christ keep our feet on solid ground, that we not get all puffed up and start floating away, but that we are real people who, who are who we are. We don't, don't pretend to be something else. We don't play these silly little games that sometimes we play down to earth. You know, there are some people that you can be around and you feel totally comfortable with them. And there are other people who just seem to want to make you feel uncomfortable. They'll show you by the look on their face that they don't approve of what you're saying or what you're doing. They, they, they can just make you feel crummy just by you being with them. I worry about our society where we are so politically correct. And I mean, I, when, when Pam showed me this announcement for the airsoft thing, and you know, as it says there, ever want to shoot a fellow Christian, I realize some people are probably going to be offended by that. And some of them may even have good reasons. Maybe they just got shot, and they're like, it's not funny to get shot, believe me. Or, you know. But I mean, come on. To be, to be real, to be down to earth means you get over yourself. If you have reasons to be offended by something, don't dump that off on everyone else. Don't, don't make everyone else feel like they have to coddle you. I, I, this week on, on uh, Jay Leno, the president was on. And I mean, it's the first time a, 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 a president who's in office has come on The Tonight Show, and they made kind of a big deal about it. And he was talking about how he's been bowling in the White House. And you heard about this. It was huge news. I mean, we got the world is falling down all around us. But front page news is that the president made a joke about the fact that his bowling looked like the Special Olympics. And as soon as he says it, you go, oh, boy, we're going to hear. And, and as soon as he said it, he knew it. Even before the show went out, he had to go and apologize and all this kind of stuff. And I, And, you know... I'm totally supportive of Special Olympics, and I, and I wouldn't want anybody to feel hurt because of a joke, but it was a joke. Uh, it made me feel kind of good that our president would say something that most of us would say, but we just wouldn't say it out in front of everyone because our culture has become so politically correct. And if that offends you, if you think that I should be shocked and everything, Inside, I, I just want to tell you, get over yourself. But I, I won't tell you that because that would offend you. And I don't. But but if we're going to get along, if we are going to work together, then we need to be people who are. It's okay to be real. It's okay to be yourself. We're we're grounded. We're down to earth types of people. That that's important. If we're all up and consumed with ourselves, we'll never get along. We can't work together. The second thing he says, and it's the reason why I didn't tell you to get over yourself, is you also need to be gentle. You also need to appreciate the fact that there are some people who are more sensitive than you are. And as a result, if you're going to get along with everyone, there are certain people that you need to learn they can't take a joke. 
And so, like the president did, he made the joke, and believe me, he knew what he was saying. At the same time, he came right back and apologized, and I'm sure this week the Special Olympics bowling champion's going to go to the White House for a photo op. He'll bowl with the president, and the president will roll 89, and this kid from the Special Olympics is going to bowl 220, and everybody's happy, and it all, you know, these things are planned, but I like that balance of down-to-earth and gentle. It's, it's a smart political move. It's a smart way to be with other people. At the same time, let your hair down and be yourself, but at the same time, don't just bowl people over. To, to be, to be in, in this way, as he says, gentle, it, it means to be not pushy, not to just insist, look, I'm going to be the way I am, and I don't care what you think. Now, we all know people who are very down-to-earth, but they're anything but gentle. They don't have a sensitive bone in their body, and that's why it's so fun watching them get themselves into trouble because they just bowl everyone over and do this stuff. But if we're going to get together and work together, and believe me, to be a valuable player on a team, it's important on the one hand that you be a regular person, that you not build walls around yourself, that you not put yourself puffed up and above everyone else. That's been the primary problem of that Laker team. Now, at the same time, you've got to care about other people. You've got to realize everyone isn't where you are. Everyone, other people may be hurt by things that aren't a big deal to you. So on the one hand, try to be as regular, real person as you can be. On the other hand, understand everyone isn't like you. And, and so learn to be gentle. Learn not to, you know, you don't want to be just completely obsessed and, and politically correct to the nth degree. But at the same time, a little, you know, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, as Mary Poppins said. And <laughs> it, it, it's wise for us to bring some tact in with our reality of who we are. Now, Paul also says for a valuable player to be a champion, they need to do it with long-suffering. The, the word there for long-suffering, it, it's a Greek word, macrothumia. Macro means long, as you probably know. Thumia means passion, like the heat of passion. And the idea here is if you're going to be a valuable member of a team, the body of Christ, it would be really smart if you would learn to have a long fuse on your passion, that you not just snap, that when something offends you, you don't just blow up right away and let everyone know. If you'll wait and be patient and take your time, there'll be an opportunity for you to express your passion in a constructive way. But if you're exploding all the time, people won't want to work with you. They don't want to be a part of, of where you're at because you're going to disrupt the apple cart. You, you see it happen in sports all the time. There are certain athletes who are so gifted, and yet anytime they get upset, boom, they explode. As soon as other players on other teams figure out that you're that person with the short fuse, they deliberately say the things that are going to make you mad. They poke you and hit you and they bump you because they know if you explode, it takes you off your game. Ultimately, it'll take you out of the game. One of the 
probably in my mind the best basketball player of all times is Wilt Chamberlain. Big, strong, passionate guy. Once scored 100 points in a game. He averaged 50 points a game for an entire season. He was a scary guy. But the amazing thing about Wilt's career, he had records for everything from free throws to scoring to block shots to assists and everything else. The thing about Chamberlain, in his entire career, he never fouled out of a game. Now, there are some people who said he didn't foul out of a game because no ref was going to call that last foul <laughs> because he was a big, strong guy. But the truth is, he knew how to keep a lid on it. And if God's going to use you to your maximum effect, you have to learn to keep a lid on it too. Oh, there are things that are worth getting mad about. There are things that are worth exploding about. But never does an explosion rectify what's happened. You know, the fact that someone does something horribly shocking and then we get all shocked about it, it doesn't help. And so to be members of a team, to be members of the body, to, all these things are things that, by the way, it starts at that basic nuclear unit of a marriage, and it extends to the whole body of Christ, the family of God. You better learn to have a long fuse if you're going to keep a relationship going with someone. It, it's just, it's, it's pretty simple. Short fuses, a lot of explosions, it drives people away. And so Paul says, if you want to achieve the maximum for the value that God has placed within you, then don't be the person who gets your passion out of control. Again, witness that Laker team. And imagine what would have happened if every player on that team had control of all their passions off the court. What a difference it could have been. And, and so for our lives, a, a disruption of passion can completely take us out of the game, can totally rob us of what God wants to do in our lives. Passion is good. Just keep a long fuse on it and keep a lid on it. Be able to deal with it in a way that's wise. And then he goes on to say, bearing with one another in love. That word for bearing means to stand up straight. Now, if you just say, you need to bear with this word, it means stand up. But bearing with one another, what that means is you need to learn to hold other people up. You need to help stand other people up straight. Sometimes in and of our own capabilities, we're doubled over in pain or out of exhaustion or in some way we are not able to stand up. And understanding that our team is only as strong as its weakest member then to be a good teammate means that I need to support those on my team who aren't able to stand up straight on their own. It's kind of like a weekend at Bernie's sort of thing. You know, where, you know, we all need that sometimes. We all, at one point, need somebody else to hold us up. And that's what body ministry is all about. Now, it'd be really simple and often people try to do this in the church. You see somebody who stumbles. You see somebody who can't keep up. Hey, vote them off the island. Let's get rid of the weak people. And what's going to happen? 
you know, we'll be strong. Well, what's going to happen is you start getting rid of weak people. Problem is <coughs> something's going to come up down the road that that person is strong in, and now you don't have them because you kicked them off the team. And so often the body of Christ works this way. As some people have said, the Christian army is the only army that shoots its wounded. And it's true, you're a Christian and you mess up, you stumble, and everybody just goes, you're making us look bad. You're off the team. Hey, if every time an athletic team would release someone when they got injured, no one would be left on the team. The church is the same way. We have to realize, okay, somebody on the team needs help. Somebody in the body is hurting. Somebody is weak and failing, stumbling, or they've fallen. What a team does is, let's gather around and hold them up straight. Let's lift them up and support them. Because if we don't do that, we're bound to lose. Here's how it works, too. If you're on a team where the coach is just intolerant of injuries, somebody starts to feel a little hamstring pull, they don't say anything. Are you all right? Look like you were limping. No, no, I'm fine. And they play with pain, and they do themselves greater damage until finally now they're out, they need surgery, they're out for the year. What you want is to be on the kind of team where everybody cares about you, and if you're hurting a little, hey, Let's give you a break. Let's sit you down, get some ice on that thing so that you'll be able to come back at 100% later. I'm afraid a lot of times the church is like the team where they're intolerant of anyone who has a minor injury. And so what we do as believers, we just act like everything's okay. You don't want to hint around that you're hurting or you're depressed or you're, you're feeling a lack in some way because you know, you're, they're just going to thin the herd and push you off to the side, and all those other people are strong. So what happens is often the body of Christ becomes a place where everyone's pretending like they're okay. That when somebody says, how are you doing, you always say, fine, because you know that's what they want to hear, but you're not fine, and you just keep sucking it up and pretending like you're okay until you finally fall, and then they're just stepping over you and kind of glad that you're out of the way so that they can continue to move on with the winners. Champions don't do that. Championship teams aren't that way. And the body of Christ isn't designed that way. It's designed so that we are all responsible for each other, that when one is hurting, the rest gather around and stand them up and support them and lift them up. And that's what Paul is saying. This is what a valuable player does. In order to be the most valuable player, in order to walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called, a part of that has to be that you're looking out for those who need support and you are confident enough in who you are that you know you can give some of your strength over to someone else and lift them up. What happens too often in the body, by the way, too, is that there are some people who really have this vision and they understand it. And so they're scrambling around constantly trying to lift people up who are hurt. And until that helper ends up burning themselves out. This is a job that is the job of the entire body, that each of us, we look for someone who's hurting and we stand them up and lift them up and support them. So to walk worthy, 
to be, take your value and turn it into a championship Again, with all lowliness, being down to earth, just be a regular person, get over yourself. With gentleness, just being sensitive to others, understand other people are different than you are. With long-suffering, put a long fuse on that passion. Your passion is okay, just don't be blowing it off everywhere quickly. And then lifting up, bearing with one another in love. And then he says in verse 3, endeavoring. The word endeavoring means to exert haste and motivation. Just really go after this. This is your goal. Endeavoring to keep or literally to guard the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is, realize that you don't have a higher goal than to get along with others. The unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And we have to understand, if we lose that, we lose everything. Benjamin Franklin, before the revolution, made the statement, if we do not hang together, then certainly we will hang separately. And that's true. That's true in life. That's true in a family. That's true in church. It's true for the body of Christ as a whole. We need our undivided focus on how can we endeavor to keep that unity in the bond of peace. Now, it isn't unity at all costs. It's not, you don't sacrifice the truth for unity. The basis for our unity is the Spirit, is the Word of God as it works. And, and so by holding to what God says, by hanging on to the truth and love, that's what holds us together. That's what draws us together. Too often, the body of Christ is divided over things that aren't worth dividing over. We're, we're fighting over silly little squabbles. We're looking at other churches and going, well, they don't do it like us, so therefore, forget them. Hey, I want to endeavor. I want to passionately try in every way possible to be unified with everyone who's a child of God. And to maintain that unity, I don't want to let anything come in that divides us. Because if it happens, we're like the 03 Laker team, where you got a bunch of great superstars, God's blessed all of them, but they just can't get along. And because they can't get along, they all fail. And sure enough, that happens. That will happen to all of us if we don't decide that unity in the Spirit with the bond of peace is something that we want to work toward constantly and consistently. Your goal in your family better not be for you to experience what you want to experience. Your goal in your family needs to be, how do I keep this family together? How do I hold this unit together? And in the body of Christ, it's the same way. And then he goes on to say why. There's one body, one spirit. You were called in one hope of your calling. In other words, your callings are consistent together. You're all called to different things. He's going to go on to that next week. But there's one Lord, one boss, one coach, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. 
That's like the mentality on a team that says, we have one thing that we are supposed to do, be the most effective team we can be, and win a championship. And everything else needs to be set aside for that goal. For us, our goal is God's glory. That's what it is that we were all created for. And so as we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, keep him in mind, try to be like him, try to do what he wants us to do, recognize all that he has done for us, we'll be successful. And that's the way to take what God has given you and put it to its greatest use. That's the way to discover your value and become a most valuable player that you can be on this team that we call the church. And that was Paul's passion. That was his heart. That's what he wanted to see happen. And that really is so central to the message of the book of Ephesians. We can't afford to get selfish and sacrifice the good of us all. We can't afford to be neglectful of others, think of ourselves and be selfish. If so, you'll be the guy with the MVP trophy sitting at home watching the finals. God wants us to get to the finals. He wants us to win. He wants us to do the best that we can do. That's his plan for us. You're valuable. You're important. But play that role with, the, with an eye toward the prize, what he wants to do. And that's going to take some selflessness. It's going to take some humility. It's going to take some sacrifice. But if we all win, it's worth it. Jesus said, the gates of hell won't prevail against my church. I'm going to build it on a rock. And it's true. What he wants to do for us is, is absolutely timeless. But each of us needs to get into the book and see, okay, what's required of a member of this team? And that's what Paul has laid out for us here. So important that we not miss this message. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word, and thank you for the examples that you give us. Lord, a lot of times we squander our gifts and talents. And we don't use them effectively because, frankly, we don't always like all the members that you signed on this team. And some of them are doing the things that they're doing for the wrong reasons, and that makes us want to be selfish too. But please give us that heart like that Paul talked about over in Philippians when he said there are some people who are doing it for all the wrong reasons, but I don't care. I rejoice because Christ is being preached. Lord, help us to support each other. Help us to be the kind of effective team members within the body of Christ so that we will all achieve everything that you have for us, that we will be the most valuable people that we can be living our lives as champions for you. Teach us these lessons one day at a time. And Lord, I thank you that when we stumble and fall, you're always there. You never cut us, trade us, release us on waivers. You're there. You're going to take us to the finals. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.